Good morning, good morning, good morning from Northwest Church. In the words of Mr. Yates there, what are we waiting on? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're here today. I know that many of you are already broadcasting on northwestorlando.com, but for those who are just joining us on Facebook, a special welcome to you. I know there's many of us that are uh, tuning in across the city, across the state, and even across this country and into other countries as well. We just want to give you a huge welcome to you. My name is Pastor Peter Brunton. I'm the lead pastor of Northwest Church here in Orlando. We have been around for 30 years. We are now moving into our 31st year as a church doing ministry together. And we are so excited that you have decided to join us today. Wow, are we in a crazy time. This is a time in history that we have never, ever seen. And we know that there's maybe many of you that are hurting, that are struggling, that are going through difficult times. And we want you to know how much that we're not only just praying for you, but we want to help you if we can. And we may not be able to provide all resources or all answers for you, except for the words of Jesus. But if you do need us in any way, please reach out to us. We would really love to be able to help in any way we can. That's what we're here for. I just heard yesterday as well that our president, Donald Trump, has just signed into law with Congress and Senate the largest uh, package, the largest, the largest, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know what they call it right now. What have I written down? The largest act that's been signed into history, uh, $2 trillion to try and get our economy started up again. And I know that uh, what I've heard so far is that this will significantly increase uh, unemployment help for those that are going through difficult times. And also it's uh, the, the, the amount that you'll actually receive, but also it will actually help companies uh, be able to hire people back. They're going to give a lot of financial support to help companies get back on track. And so the reason why I'm bringing that up is not only that I do believe that God gives us answers through many different ways and even through our government. For as many of us that may not like our government or maybe don't like politics, you need to know that God does work through our government as well. But what I want you to really know is we're going to be putting together a team this week who are going to be talking about this and figuring out how can we try and help many of you who may be able to be uh, eligible to, 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 to be able to receive these benefits and to receive this uh, help from the government. It's called the CARE Act and it's specifically for those workers who are going to be suffering in this economy right now. We're putting a team together to try and help you to figure out how can you access that. So in the next week or so, we'll, we'll come up with uh, ways that we can communicate that information to you. And I am, I am excited about the opportunities that God is giving us. But the one thing that I really know through this whole time is that God is not surprised by all of this. He's not surprised by any of the, 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 the troubles that we're going through. And that's why I believe more than ever, we need to continue on our series that, we are, that we've been talking about for the last four weeks called Go Big. Many of you already know that we're, have bought, we have bought 15 acres up of the northwest part of Orlando. We're going to be building a new building up there. And it would seem that this is, a, this is a difficult time. This is a troubled time. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe we should delay it. But I say this, that more than ever, more than ever in history, do God, do, do the, does the world need God? Does the world need Jesus? 
And so I believe that because we as a church are already on this journey of pushing our faith to the limits, that this is the opportunity that we can see God move in our lives. And we actually have a workbook. And if you would like to get a hold of that workbook, we'll send it to you as well. You can see the, the journey that we're on or the teachings that we've been going through as well. And if you would like to get a hold of that workbook, just, just uh, put into the chat box right now. Or if you're on the Facebook, put in the comment. And our online pastors would love to chat with you. We'd love to pray with you. And they'll be happy to get this workbook to you as well. We're really cool. We're, we're really excited about how cool this is. So before we really get into today's teaching, I want to just do a quick recap on the four weeks, the four-week journey that we've been on to go big. And we went through four different teachings, and here's what they were. The first week, we looked at go big and follow me. And as we've been going through this journey, we've been following the journey of Abraham and how he was tasked by God, how he was called by God to go big himself, to be the one that would be the first one to make a covenant with God, to be the one that would be the first to be a vehicle, a blessing for the rest of the world. That God said he wanted to bring his blessing and his salvation first through Abraham. And we believe that God has called us to bring his salvation through us, that we are meant to be the vehicles. And the first week we looked at what it was to follow God and how Abraham was actually called from his homeland into a new land, into a land that would be dangerous for him, where he didn't know anyone, where he would be a, be a huge challenge for him. But God was actually calling him not just to go to a new land, but he was calling him to leave the level of his parents. You see, his father and his mother and his family had settled for halfway, for, for, for not going all the way in. They had settled for, for just where they were in life. And God had called him and said, no, I want you to go beyond what you've come from and follow me into the next level that I want to take you to. And then in the second week, we, we talked about Abraham. We called it, go big and trust me. Go big and trust me. And through that, we actually saw that Abraham, as he followed God, actually failed five different times. Now, how many times have you failed? How many times have you spectacularly said, I will never do that wrong thing ever again? And then you, you spectacularly failed once again. It would seem that God should actually have given up on us. But God didn't give up on Abraham. He had to learn how to do things God's way. Even if that means that God is willing to break us. Even if that means he's willing to allow us to go through difficult times. It's all about trying to get to a place where we can truly learn to trust God regardless of what comes our way. And then, of course, in the third week, we, we talked about prioritizing God. We said, go big and trust me is what God said to Abraham. Go big and, tr and trust me. And Pastor Mark talked about how, how Abraham and his nephew Lot had to split ways. And Abraham offered to Lot and said, you choose which way you want to go. And, and, and Lot decided to go to the, the, most, the, most, the, the most beautiful land, the most fertile land. He went to the area that seemed to, to be a priority of, of, of riches, but Abraham didn't choose to go and look at what the best opportunities were. He chose to say, God, you lead me in the right way. Regardless of if you lead me to a place that seems barren or seems abandoned or seems difficult or seems like it, it doesn't have enough wealth for me. He decided that wherever God was is where he wanted to be. 
And in order to do that, we have to prioritize God first instead of our own wealth, instead of our own riches, instead of our own plans for ourselves, instead of our own wants and desires. We have to always prioritize God first. And then, of course, last week, we actually looked at going big and surrendering to God. And Dr. Crystal, who brought that teaching, talked about how Abraham... He was promised a, a son. And of course, he couldn't have children. And at 100 years old, when God said, I'm going to bring my blessing through you and many generations will come through you for blessings and I will give you a child. And they said, there's no way, it's impossible. I'm 100 years old. And he was given a son. And then about 30 years later, God came back to him and said, now I want your son back. And imagine if God had ever asked you to have to give the very things that are your treasures in your life and said, I want you to give the most precious things you have and give it to me. Would you be willing to do it? You can see how God was pushing Abraham's faith. He was pushing him and pushing him to see if he could trust him to be the one that would truly carry his blessing. Or would there be a place where he would say, no, God, I'm sorry, I'm tapping out. I don't want any more. So that's been our journey so far up to this point. But today we're going to be continuing on with our fifth teaching. And next week will be our last and sixth teaching. But today we want to talk about go big and believe me. Go big and believe me. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 18. And if you're following along in your booklet, you can actually flip over to chapter 30, sorry, to page 34, and you'll have a scripture there and you'll have some notes there as well, or sorry, a blank page there that you can actually write your notes in. Now, it's going to be a long scripture I'm going to read, but, but basically what happens is there are three visitors that come to meet with Abraham and his wife and his family. And these three visitors were, were, were from God. Now, theologians say that one of them was possibly and quite likely was actually Jesus himself and the other two were angels. But either way, when Abraham met with them, he called them Lord. He, he interacted with them like they were actually God themselves. And there were two announcements that those three visitors gave to Abraham. He said the first one was this. The first announcement they said was, this time next year, Sarah will be pregnant with the promised son. Now, I realized last week we talked about Abraham and Isaac, etc. And we're kind of going back a little bit in the story here. But this is a significant story. And when, when they said to Sarah and Abraham, they said that there will be a son. Abraham and Sarah couldn't quite believe it. In fact, Sarah kind of laughed at it and said, this is impossible. I am at an age where I can't even have children. But God said to them, what I said I will do, I will do. But the second announcement that those three visitors came and spoke to them was this. The second announcement was they said they were going to destroy the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, as many of us have probably heard of, of, of those cities before, but Sodom and Gomorrah were, a horrible, were horrible cities. They were very brutal cities. They, were, they did horrible, horrible things there. And it turns out that actually Abraham's nephew called Lot that separated ways, Lot went to go to the fertile land that was 
off and close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And eventually, he actually ended up living inside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we're going to pick up a scripture here right now. And we're going to be reading quite a bit of scripture. But stick with me because this story is so interesting and so significant. And so we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to start at verse 16. And it says this. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abram walked along with them to see them on their way. Who's these men? That's the three visitors we were just talking about that came to make the announcements. And most theologians believe that one of them was actually Jesus. And it continues on. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This is, this is God repeating again, Abram, I'm not only going to give you a child, but your children and your children's children and your children's children will receive this blessing as well. And he continues on, he says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. It's interesting. God checks up to see if this city was as bad as people saying it was. That means when people were crying out saying, God, save us. This is a horrific city. The, 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 the culture, the world is the worst it's ever been. And of course, we all, we all know the story that eventually in chapters later, God actually does destroy these two cities. But let's not jump there just too quickly. And he says, I'll go down, I'll see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abram remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Here's Abraham now trying to push God. He's now actually trying to see if he can, he's, he's trying to push God to see, are you really that type of God? What if there's 50 righteous people there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Have you ever spoken to God like that? Have you ever reminded God what type of God he is? Have you ever told him, listen, you're a good God. You've already promised us that you would look after me. You've already promised us that you, would, you wouldn't let uh, uh, anything destroy me. Now, he did say that he would let difficult things come our way, but you said you wouldn't destroy me. You're a good God. Have you ever reminded God of what type of God he is? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Whoa, 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 whoa. There was thousands of people in that city. And he said, I will spare the entire city if I can find 50. That's quite significant for God to, to, to strike a deal like that. 
to strike a deal that he would, he would actually bring mercy to thousands of people just because of 50 righteous people. I wonder if we have 50 righteous people in our church. Do we have 50 righteous people just watching right now? who are willing to actually be the ones that would be the reason for God to bring blessing, mercy, hope, and salvation to the thousands of people that live around us. But the story's not over yet. Continues. Then Abraham spoke up again. Well, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, just forgive me, God, I'm just a man here. But what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? I mean, come on, God, you said 50, but let's see how low you're willing to go. If I find 45 there, he said, this is God speaking, I will not destroy it. He responds to Abraham's intercession there. But Abraham continues on. He says, once again, he spoke to him. But, but would what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, God said, I will not do it. Well, God's now going down in his numbers here. Then he said, may the Lord, this is Abraham, may the Lord not be angry. I know I'm pushing it so much here, God, but, but, but let me speak once again. What if only 30 can be found there? And God responded and he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. But Abraham said, Woo, Abraham is pushing this or what? Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, I might as well keep pushing here. What if only 20 can be found there? And God replied to him and said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Wait, God has gone all the way from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30, and now he's at 20. But it's still not over. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry with me. Why would God be angry with him? Because it must be a pretty scary thing to push God to the next level. It must be a scary thing to keep pushing him to see how far God is willing to go. And he said, may the Lord not be angry at me, but let me speak just once more, just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And God answered, and he said, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. I love the scriptures. I love the crazy stories that we often find in the scriptures. We've just seen there was three men. One of them we believe was God himself, probably Jesus. We call it a Christophany. And we know that, 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 that as these three men were making these announcements, we can see that Abraham went into a negotiation for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he negotiates them all the way. He negotiates God all the way down from 50, all the way down to 10. From 50, all the way down to 10. I don't know if you think of this as a normal story, but when I'm reading these stories, I always get these questions in my head, right? And here's the first question I got. I got two questions this morning. The first one is this. Why did Abraham negotiate for Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did he negotiate for Sodom and Gomorrah? 
Now, I can think of two reasons why he should not have negotiated for Sodom and Gomorrah. The first one was this, is that Abraham knew how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was. If you remember a few weeks ago, I told a story about how Abraham had to go rescue his, his, his nephew Lot, who had been taken off into slavery. And it's simply because there were four kings, and two of them was from, one of them was from Sodom, the other one was from, from Gomorrah. And those four kings decided to battle these five other kings. But the problem is they got their butts kicked, and, and, and they actually lost. And, and that's, why, that's why Lot got taken off into slavery. And so Abraham had to gather his men. He had like 318 men, which were not a lot of men, but God was on his side and he chased after these kings and he actually rescued his nephew, but he actually also freed the four kings that just got their butts kicked. Two of those kings, like I just said, one was from Sodom, the other one was, was from Gomorrah. And, he, and here's the interesting thing, is the king of Sodom took a whole bunch of wealth and he came to, 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 to Abraham and he said, I want to thank you for saving us. Here's all my wealth. Here's, my, here's, here's a whole bunch of gold and silver and blah, blah, blah. Now, Abraham did allow his men to take some of it, but he said to the king of Sodom, this is what he said. He said, I will not even touch the, the strap on the sandal of your foot. Now, that's pretty sharp, right? That's basically saying, yeah, I saved you, but I want nothing to do with you. He didn't even have coronavirus, right? It's not, it's not like it's like, hey, it's six feet, six feet distance, you know, social distancing. No, no, no. He knew how, how horrible, how disgusting, how wicked this king was. And he said, I want nothing to do, you, do with you. In fact, we even get our modern day word sodomy from the word Sodom. The kingdom of Sodom, the city of Sodom is where we get our understanding of the word sodomy because it was rampant. It was horrific the way that they were treating people in that city. So I can think of, that's my number one reason why Abraham should not negotiate for Sodom and Gomorrah. But I also have the other reason which I just mentioned, which was that because of the greed of Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the kings wanting to, to beat up other kings and take and steal their wealth, Abraham's nephew Lot actually got taken into slavery simply because of the greed of these kings. And, and because Abraham had to go and try and rescue his, his nephew Lot, he even put his whole family, his whole tribe at risk of being killed himself. And you can imagine, that's the second reason why Abraham should have went, I want nothing to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. They nearly lost my life. They, they nearly lost my, my nephew's life. We nearly got destroyed. And when you think about it, why was it that Abraham decided to negotiate for Sodom and Gomorrah? Why didn't he negotiate for Lot's life? His actual blood, his actual family, his actual nephew. Why didn't he say, God, listen, my nephew's there, his wife is there, my, my nieces and my nephew and his, his children, they're there as well. Please, God, I'm, I'm begging you, please save them, please save them. He should have interceded for them. But he didn't intercede for them. He interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's the reason why I believe that Abram took this strange position. And it's simply this. It's because Abraham was now living up to his calling, not down to his feelings. Let me say it again. 
Abraham was now living up to his calling, not down to his feelings. How do I know this? Because when the three men spoke with Abraham, they pointed out something that they saw in Abraham. And I'm going to show you this scripture. It just it says, this is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, and it says this. This is when this is where God's speaking, and he says this: Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. This is him not just speaking the promise to Abraham. This is him being descriptive of Abraham. He's not being prescriptive in hope and saying, we prescribe and we hope that Abraham will become this type of person. No, he's like, this is God saying, I recognize that this guy gets it. I can see he has a passion and a desire to see people saved, to see them come back to a relationship with God in heaven. This guy gets it is what the angels or what Jesus or what God was saying right there in this moment. He was now, Abraham was now living up to his calling. You see, I believe it takes a true belief in God to intercede for those who truly don't deserve it. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone, been rejected by someone? Maybe you've gone through horrific situation in your life. Maybe you have been horrifically sexually abused. Maybe you have been abandoned by your parents. Maybe you have been stolen from. Someone took all your wealth from you. Maybe you have been horrifically lied to. And these things can truly injure us and scar us emotionally inside of ourselves. And then we start making vows to ourselves that I will never trust that person ever again. I will never have anything to do with them ever, ever again. But the fact is, God wants their soul. God wants us to reach them. You really know you're saved when your heart starts aching for the very people who have hurt you. Abraham rose above his feelings of injustice and rose to his calling. His calling was to be a source of blessing to the nations. Abraham knew he knew this. He knew how merciful God had been to him. And so therefore he had come to a place where he was now compelled to bring mercy to those who didn't deserve mercy just as much as he had never give, deserved mercy. You see, Christians forgive not because they're so great, but because God has forgiven them so greatly. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? If you have not gotten to that place where you started to feel the Father's heart for those who are lost, yes, even those who have done horrific things to you, if you don't feel the Father's heart yet, then you have not truly discovered full forgiveness for yourself. You've not truly discovered the fullness of God's mercy for yourself because when you realize how much you don't deserve, then you realize how much God actually is a merciful for God. The reason, why, the reason why Abraham went into this negotiation with God is simply because he was living up to his calling, not now down to his feelings. Here's the second reason I want to suggest to you. The second question, sorry, the second question I have that I want to suggest to you is this. The second question I have is, why did Abraham actually stop negotiating at 10? That's interesting, isn't it? So he went from 50, down to 45, down to 40. Give me 40, give me 45. Anyone got 45? We're going down to 30, then 30, 30. We'll go to 20, 20. Anyone got 20? Souls. No, he got down to 10. 
And then he stopped right there. My brother-in-law is a car salesman. Sounds like a terrible thing. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like an insult to someone. You must be a car salesman. Car salesmen don't necessarily have great reputations, right? But he loves negotiating. My brother-in-law loves getting into the, 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 into the, into the, the, whole, the whole wrestle of it. And I went to, he actually helped me to go buy my, my last car. And, uh, and, and so as we were going to, we were actually going to the auction. And so he was allowing us to go with him to go to the auction to have a look at some of the cars. And uh, as he took us there, the, 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 the guard at the front door said, sorry, you, can't, you can only have two people come in. And so Rory went, only two? Well, um, I have three. And they're like, no, no, sorry, you can only two can come in at a time. You can't have three. And he goes, well, um, can you just go ask your supervisor to see if we can actually have three? And the guy goes, well, I've just been told we can't. And he goes, yeah, well, just give him a call. That's, that's Rory, right? He loves the negotiation. He loves just, I'm not going to give up until I've got a final no on this. And sure enough, the supervisor came down. He goes, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll let you have three. I'll let you have three of and yet, I've got other members of my family, like, you know, maybe my, my sister-in-law or something, and maybe some of you are like this, that they balk at negotiation. When someone tells them a price, no, 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 it's fine, they get uncomfortable because it's so uncomfortable to ask to, to, for less money, right? To, to say, no, 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 I don't want to pay $100 for that. I only want to pay 80 and they don't like the negotiation process. What, 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 what category do you fall into? Are you the type of person that loves the, the smell of the chase of getting the deal? Or are you on the other side where it's like, I'll just pay the price. Or I'll just, I'm gonna, I don't want to negotiate. I feel so embarrassed. I'm so uncomfortable. But you see, I don't think Abraham was necessarily negotiating. I think he was interceding. And I believe the reason why he stopped at 10 was because of this. It's because he was looking to see if God was truly merciful. You see, God said that he would save the nations through Abraham. He knew what his calling was now. He already said, God had already said to him that through Abraham, he would bring salvation to the world. And I wonder, I just wonder if Abraham was actually testing God on this. You see, God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and we know that God had the right to do it because the cries had come up from the city saying, please save us. And he had a right to, to wipe out all the evil and, 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 and horror that was in that city. But Abraham knew that there probably wasn't enough righteous people there. That's probably why he stopped at 10. He could have gone all the way down to zero could have gone all the way down to one. And God could have said, okay, if you find one person that's righteous enough, then I will relent. I think that Abraham knew that there wasn't really anyone righteous enough in that city, not even his nephew Lot, because this is not about if someone can be good enough for God. This is about if God is merciful enough for someone to cry out to. Will God answer us if we cry out for mercy? You see, God's mercy is not only something that he has, but he responds to someone who cries out for his mercy. This is why Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You see, his own son 
cried out for mercy, even as he was paying the price for our sin. His own son cried out for mercy on our behalf and said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. And I believe as Christians that we are in the same position as Abraham. You see, God has placed you, put you in a place to pray and sacrifice for others. Your job, your family, your neighborhood, the the, the circles that you're in, the house that you're in. God has strategically put you there to bring the message of salvation to those that are around you. I remember years ago, I had this, this Peruvian pastor came and stay, stayed with me. Now, I'm already a pastor, right? I'm, I'm already a pastor. I'm in the business of trying to win people to Christ. And one day he got up and he said, Pastor Peter, can, can I take you to your front door? And I'm like, sure. So we were inside the house and we went to my front door and we opened up the door. And he said, step outside, step outside. And he put his arm around me and he goes, you see all these houses. You must win them for Jesus. You must reach them all for Jesus. Now, when you think about it, I'm a pastor. Do I need someone to tell me that I've got to do that? I could have, I could have, I could have gotten maybe incensed. Maybe I could have, you know, like arched my back and went, I'm already a pastor. I'm already serving God. But I believe that every one of us needs reminded that your job is to win those that are lost. Our job as Christians is to reach out to the lost. You see, do you believe that God has you in the right place? Do you believe that you're actually in the right place? Or do you just feel like you're in Sodom and Gomorrah and you're complaining about how difficult life is, how difficult it is for you to be in this position? Why, God, do you have me in this place? Maybe he has you in this place because he's calling you to reach the lost. He is looking for more Abrahams to reach out to those that don't deserve mercy, to intercede for them. I love this quote from an author that says this, that every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. Let me say it again because that was good. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. You see, the question is not, how much God do I have to give? The question more is, what am I not giving and why am I not giving it? Because you see that the fact is that souls are at stake with everything that we're doing. And God has already told us that he answers our prayers. 11 times he said, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. What are you asking for? As you're on this journey with us, as you're on this journey to go big with us, to help us to to build this new campus that we believe will will reach more people for Christ, why are you in this? Are you in this because you feel guilty? Are you in this because you just want, you you, you see that it's a good thing and you just want to do it? Or do do you truly have a passion to see the lost saved? What are you asking for? Who is it that one person you're negotiating for? Who's that one person that you're haggling for, that you're interceding for? Who is going to point to you someday and say, because of what you did, I found Jesus. What am I not giving and why am I not giving it? This is why we're doing our go big. Now, I want to just quickly 
show you something that, is, that we're going to be looking at next week. Next week is going to be our Commitment Sunday. We've been building up to this week after week. And regardless of what virus is going on, regardless of what economy is going on, I don't believe that God has lost momentum. I don't believe that, that God was, was shocked or surprised with what's going on in our culture right now. I believe he knew what was going on and he still told us, go big. He still told us to go on this journey. And so next week, we're going to be having our Commitment Sunday, as many of you know. And on that Sunday, I am asking you to ask God, what do you want me to give to help our church to go big? What do you want me to do to take my giving to the next level? God will not give you, listen now, this is a word that I felt God gave me. God will not give you a reason to not give. God will never give you a reason to not give. Because this is not about money. This is about faith. This is about us going to the next level in our trust with God. And it's not just us as a church, it's you individually. And so next week, we're going to be doing this whole Commitment Sunday. And we're going to ask you to make a commitment for the next two years and we're going to have a, we, uh, we've already given you this, this, uh, this card that, that is our commitment card. And it takes you through your commitment and how you would actually show your commitment for the next two years. In fact, we've also put it up on the website where we're going to be doing a page that you can actually do it online now instead of having to do the card. You can take this card and you can fill it out. You can mail it to us if you prefer to do that, if you already have the card. Or you can actually go online when we do this next week. And we'll be taking you through the, the different steps of what it takes to show where you'll have a number that you give. You'll, you'll say, this is what I give usually every year. And then you'll say, and this is what I'm committing to for the next two years over and above my normal giving. And then when we've got those numbers together, we'll collectively put it together and we'll see how God is actually calling us to go big. Now, I'm giving you fair heads up with what we're going to be doing next week. And I am so excited about next week because this past week, the leaders already got together and we decided to collectively get together and to pray and to worship and to make a commitment ourselves. Our leaders have already done this. They've already, they've already made a commitment for two years. Why did we do that? Because the Bible says that the leaders must go first. And next week, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you about uh, uh, many of their stories and how they've decided to, to go big. But we hope that you will be inspired to be on that journey with us, to be a part of this Go Big initiative that we're on. I am so excited. But before we finish today, I've really asked my wife to, to bring a word as well, just to bring a word of blessing and encouragement for why we are on this journey together. Because we're excited about what God has done in our lives. We were just, we went out for a walk the other day and we were just reminiscing about how can we not go big because of how much God has done in our lives. Absolutely. When we're talking about belief in God, I'm reminded of the story in Exodus 36 when God approached Moses and he said, build a tabernacle. So Moses hired craftsmen and he approached the people and he took it to the people and he said, bring what you've got so that we can build this tabernacle. We can build this tabernacle. And the people donated. They, they brought what they had, all their materials. And what happened was something incredible happened after they donated. 
every morning they kept bringing more gifts to the craftsmen. More and more gifts. Each morning they appeared with more. And the craftsmen then went back to Moses and said, tell them to stop. We have more than enough to build the tabernacle. So Moses went to the people and he said, stop, stop. You have been so generous. You've given so much. We have more than enough. I am so encouraged by this story. But do you know what encourages me even more about the story? They were still in the wilderness when this happened. They hadn't even entered the promised land yet. When we trust God in the wilderness, we can trust him in the promised land. He doesn't always wait until we get to the promised land before he asks something of us. Our faith is increased in the wilderness. Our faith is increased in times of hardship, in times of trouble. So I just want to pray over us right now that our faith is increased in Jesus' name. Our faith is increased during this time. And just like all of the biblical characters, Esther, David, Paul, Peter, James, and John, it was during times of hardship that their faith was activated. So this week I pray, God, activate our faith this week. Use us in ways that we've never been used before because we know that we were born for such a time as this. Father, I pray that our belief and our faith is increased in the mighty name of Jesus. David. Amen. We love you. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Pastor Dave, please. Make sure next week you tune in on our website, not on Facebook, to get the full experience because we've got the Go Big Commitment Sunday. It's going to be awesome. As much as the the world might be being affected by what's going on right now and the economy might make it feel like the, the back of the economy is getting broken, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. But I do believe on the Commitment Sunday, something's going to break loose in us when we commit and have the faith to push forward to the things that God's calling us to do. Also, Northwest Kids, you guys are special. Tune in on Facebook after this is done. We've got something special for you. We love you. We'll see you next week.